0: Hello and welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly podcast discussing issues of current relevance. I'm PJ George, your host for today. India has added over 10 unicorns so far this year, which is a rate of nearly 1 every 5 days. This comes after a record year of new unicorns in 2021 which saw 44 new additions, pushing India up to the third place globally after the US and China in the Huron Global Unicorn Index 2021. But what exactly does a unicorn valuation mean for the larger economy? And how do these technology-driven, privately held startups valued at over a billion dollars influence the employment scenario in the country? To discuss this, we have with us Professor tilay Rajan of the Center for Research on Startups and Risk Financing at the Department of Management Studies, IIT Madras, and P.K. Devan, author and former startup founder. Uh, hello, Professor Rajan and uh, Jaydevan. Welcome to the Hindus' Parley. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you, Jaj. Um, pleasure to be here. Welcome, both of you. India has added 10 unicorns so far this year which is the highest rate so far for the country. What do you think are the fundamental reasons for this high rate now? Is it a rate sustainable over time or does it have something to do with uh, the immediate context like the pandemic? Uh, Professor Rajan, why don't you go first on this?
1: All right. Okay. thank you. So I was looking at the unicorns that has emerged from India so far and um, the number seems to be 91 and um, the first unicorn happened in 2011 and from 2011 to fourteen, for the four years we had only about one unicorn and uh, gradually over a period of time this started to slowly climb up and uh, in 2020 we had 10 and in 2021 there was 44 and uh, In the first two months of 2022, there there is 10. So there is um, a phenomenal growth uh, in the number of unicorns that has emerged. So now I will pass aside and then I'll I'll give another um, example here. So there was a figure of two in 1953 and um, in 1956, there were two. 1960, there is three. 1963, there is three. 1965 was nine, and today as we talk, the figures are anyway between 500 to 600 every year. Right? So in case you're wondering what is these numbers that I'm kind of rattling it out, I'm talking about the number of people who climb the Mount Everest summit. Right? So becoming an unicorn is in some case scaling a summit And like we see in case of what's actually happened in Mount Everest, started very slow, but then um, over a period of time, it's increased. So that I think is going to be very similar as we see in the unicorns as well. Now, has it actually eased it? No, the process has not become easy. If I look at the first unicorn in Mobi in 2011, uh, to reach the unicorn status in Mobi took about five years. The second unicorn Flipkart again took about four to five years and the latest unicorn that we talk about Hasura um, you know in February 2022 it again took about five years right so the process of becoming an unicorn has actually not eased um, over a period of time it just more or less kind of you know, remains the same but what has actually happened is uh, because of uh, you know, the, the innate ambition of uh, the mankind to reach and scale summits. Right? I think that, I think, is becoming a big motivator. Uh, in today's context, I think um, the unicorn is one such big motivator for entrepreneurs. And it's a summit that they would all like to scale. And more and more entrepreneurs are naturally getting uh, you know, are targeting this as an aim to become a unicorn status, right? So so that's actually one of the, you know, there is a lot of, uh, as you would say, a lot of interest in going to Mount Everest, there's a lot of interest, the um, targeted interest in uh, reaching the summit. So this is one of the reasons, right? The fundamental reason um, from the demand side is from the entrepreneur side, uh, there is a lot of uh, motivation and to do that. Now look at it from the supply side. So naturally, um, unicorns are essentially VC funded companies uh, which have reached a 1 billion valuation. So therefore the fundamental um, shortlist to be part of the unicorn is it should have been VC funded. So that means a a proportion of those companies that have been VC funded become unicorns. So if there are more number of unicorns, there should be more number of companies that should have been VC funded. So today that is what we are seeing. There is a strong interest among the investors to invest in startups in India. Um, If you look at the growth in VC funding between 2011 and 2020, the compounded annual growth rate has been 76%. So, that's staggering. So, 10,000 companies have been funded uh, in this um, 10 years and naturally, people expect this number to grow up because of the economic growth, um, because of the other innate potential that exists in the economy. This funding is is expected to grow. I mean, the growth might actually taper off over a period of time, but the growth is going to be there. And then a proportion of these companies are going to become unicorns. So when the base is increasing, uh, naturally the growth of the unicorns is also going to be increasing. So that's the supply side. Then we look at the environment. Um, Environment um, naturally today is a lot more supportive for creating unicorns. There is a very strong policy imperative I mean, as we all know, um, January 16th has been you know, named as the National Startup Day, right? And unicorns is all about um, startups reaching and scaling a summit, right? So if there is a national priority in terms of identifying, sustaining, supporting, and recognizing startups, naturally, um, it is going to result in an impact in terms of numbers and more unicorns are going to come. And there is also an opportunity, right? Uh, an opportunity can actually vary today. Uh, there is an opportunity in becoming digital. Um, yesterday, um, there was an opportunity in bringing in more efficiencies um, in various sectors. Uh, tomorrow, there could be another opportunity, right? So, the nature of the opportunity might change, but then opportunities are continuing to uh, can continue to exist and emerge, right? As long as this uh, is there, as long as we have uh, very, very, very strong market, we are going to see uh, you know significant uh, growth in unicorns. So let's also look at a little bit of numbers here. Um, You know, in in the last I know since two thousand eleven to two thousand twenty two, there has been two hundred seventy four IPOs, right? And number of unicorns is only ninety one. And so when IPOs, which are relatively more difficult um, to stage to reach to, is more than the number of unicorns, I'm sure there is a long way for the number of unicorns to grow. Naturally. Uh, there are going to be cycles. I mean, we cannot go; we cannot be seeing a steady growth that we are seeing today. So, for example, between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, the growth rate has been in excess of three hundred percent in the number of unicorns. So that is unlikely to be sustained, um, you know, for a long duration of time. Because as we all see in the financial markets, everything is in terms of cycles. The largest number of IPOs so far has been in two thousand eight. That is one hundred and eight. In two thousand twenty. Uh, in 2010, there were 66, and 2021, there is 63. But in between these years, there were some, there were some very deep valleys, as we call it, right? So same is going to be the case with the unicorns as well. There is going to be growth, the extraordinary growth that we are seeing, you know, in in steady state might not be sustained. There are going to be valleys, but again, the number is just going to only increase. Because of the potential, right? So today, if you look at the number of industry classes that we have in India, there are about three hundred and two industry classes, right? As per the uh, as per the um, company registration, right? And these industry classes naturally represent uh, very strong areas of economic activity, right? So if you, on an average, take about there is a potential of let's say. I mean, three unicorns that can emerge in each of these industry classes, right? Because each industry class are very large by itself. I mean, naturally, some industry classes like technology uh, that can have several unicorns that can emerge. But on an average, if you say that, there can be about three industry classes that can emerge uh, in each of the industry classes. So we are talking about thousand thousand unicorns. As we stand today, right, there's immediate potential to create a thousand unicorns uh, by by identifying and supporting startups um, in, on an average about three in different industry classes. Right? So, so that is a strong uh, potential. Uh, we have probably reached uh, you know scratch only the surface. Um, the growth is going to continue. It may not be the strong growth that we see today, but it's um, as long as as long as the country economy is growing. And the VC funding is going to grow. And as long as VC funding is going to grow, the number of unicorns that are going to emerge um, is going to grow. So that would be my response to the question, George.
0: Uh, thank you, Professor Rajan, for that detailed response. Uh, Jai what is your take on the spurt in the number of uh, startups that we are seeing and the unicorns?
2: Sure. I just wanted to sort of go back to this Example, uh, when Professor Rajan was talking about the Everest, um, you know, summits, I, you know, this kind of really struck me because uh, in in Freshworks, this is a Chennai based company which started, you know, in Chennai and grew, become a global sort of, you know, uh, company, it went IPO last year we uh, we kept talking about this four minute mile marker like you know roger bannister ran the first four minute mile many years ago right and then you know and and this is a story that we have internally and then and then you saw many more people do the four minute mile so uh, i guess the point there is you know you have more coaches you have more experienced people uh, the support system the ecosystem in general is more supportive and that uh, you know if you take if you sort of transpose that analogy to the startup ecosystem. That is pretty much what is happening, right? Like, you know, better, uh, better support systems and many reasons, right? Uh, just to the question of valuations, right? Like, so first of all, I want to say that Companies that are solving real problems with real customers should be the real winners, right? Like so, there's no question about that. Valuation is an outcome and the result of a bet that venture capitalists have made. They understand the risks involved, and so you don't win when you celebrate. You don't celebrate when you win uh, when you buy a lot. You only celebrate it when you win it, right? Like so, this is pretty much like it. Uh, Valuations can go up and down. You know, I'm just adding a few caveats here can go up and down since it has a lot to do with macroeconomic factors cost of capital you know all of that right like uh, demand and supply and all of that Uh, but uh, fundamentally good companies are being built out of India and that's why you'll see valuations you know going up uh, you know north of a billion is a unicorn and that's the whole story right Uh, the basics are easy to understand you know Professor Rajan touched upon almost all the points I just want to add a few things here so which is you know so firstly india is an open market with a very fairly stable democracy and startups as a national priority so that in itself is a big win to start with the fundamentals are, of you know uh, this whole ecosystem are pretty strong right like now we can argue that there are some kinks that need to be ironed out you know ease of business uh, you know all of that needs to be ironed out but the fact remains that it is you know, one of the largest markets in the world. It is open, right? And it's uh, secondly, we have great data penetration. Cost of accessing internet is so low these days, and the consumer base has become so big. You know? So, uh, in the last five, ten years, you've you've had hundreds of millions of Indians joining the mobile internet revolution, right? Like so, that's that's another piece. So the hope is that someday all of these consumers will add up to a domestic market, which is big enough to make uh, windfall sort of you know returns for all these startups which are essentially tapping into that consumer base using digital technologies right? like so and then the third piece is that you know we saw it's it's a more more recent Phenomena that we saw some really good IPOs in the last few years. Um, you know, zomato is a good example. Uh, although you know there are questions about how it will play out in the market. Freshworks is a great example. Uh, again, you know we we have to see how the stock prices hold up, etc. But uh, you know what you will see underlying all these companies is great experienced talent, which is building high quality technology products, which is being adopted. If you take Freshworks example by the enterprise, global enterprises, if you take Zomato example, it's become a household, you know, sort of uh, a product right? or or say Swiggy, for example, so everybody is using it. So there is a, you know, people are using these products. And then finally, you know, the little bit on venture capital, you know, huge amount of venture capital has been coming in. And Professor Rajan, you know, rightly pointed out the data, uh, you know, in that. So venture capital has become bolder and bolder in India. Uh, Used to be in 2006, maybe, you know, uh, three or four funds which would, uh, you know, hesitantly back some companies, uh, you know, after due diligence of six months, uh, seven, eight months. Uh, Nowadays, you see checks being cut over WhatsApp messages. And, you know, even the entrepreneurs who have previously become wealthy by cashing out in the previous wave of startups are now, you know, backing entrepreneurs, right? So I think a lot of venture capital uh, is going into the system, uh, which is again helping uh, the ecosystem. Uh, one sort of macroeconomic factor that is also at play, which is I'm not an economist, but you know the view is that there was a little bit of quantitative easing in the U.S. and interest rates have been kept low, so liquidity in the market grew up, led to asset price inflation. You know stocks went up, even crypto, which is a risky asset, also went up. Right, like so, you the cost of capital became cheaper, hence more venture capital. And uh, you know what do we do with these funds? We have to deploy it somewhere. Hey, here is a great Indian you know, open market with, you know, uh, support for startups, great talent, Uh, let's deploy it here in India as a geography. And uh, so I suspect there is a little bit of a race uh, to get into good companies. And that's probably why the valuations are sort of being pushed up.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Jayadevan, for that uh, analysis. Let me come to the next uh, aspect of this employment. Much has been said about the employment that the startup economy is generating with some figures suggesting that 32 lakhs jobs will be generated over five years. But we do see that a lot of the jobs that the e-commerce startups especially are generating are low-paying ones. There's also the fact that the focus on technology at these startups could eliminate a lot of mid-level white-collar jobs also. So what do you think will be the overall impact of these startups on the country's employment scene? How do you think they will change the nature of employment in this uh, country, uh, Jai, Devan, why don't you take this first?
2: Yeah, so uh, so I don't know about the thirty-two lakh number. You know, I usually take these numbers with a little bit of you know pinch or a bag of salt because these are at best projections. You know, and sometimes you know, uh, but, but you know, I would look for you know uh, um, uh, sort of academically backed numbers uh, research uh, to talk about employment. Um, the the point I'm trying to make is, uh, but directionally it is true. Startups have created jobs. Uh, net net uh have they created more jobs than you know sort of some of the other industries i'm not sure uh but just to give you some anecdotal sort of evidence uh, and uh, sort of you know uh build this into why i think this is overall very positive for the ecosystem uh is that uh you know there are two angles one yes job has jobs have been created to you know Wealth has been created. So, just to give you another, uh, again, going going back to the Freshworks example, you know, when the company went public, nearly uh, about 500 people became crorepatis. Now, I personally know of dozens of people who have gone out uh, and started their own companies, uh, employing, generating, you know, five ten, uh, starting with a team size of five ten, serving a global market. Now. Freshworks started as a company with a few dozen employees. Uh, and by the time, you know, last year, sometime, you know, they were uh, 3,000 employees. So uh, there is, uh, you know, a, a market which is being uh, sort of, you know, job market which is being created or sort of, you know, shifted in that sense. Uh, now, many of these guys who go and start their own companies have uh, enough capital and they understand the market. So the hope is that they will create high quality jobs. Um, and it becomes a virtuous cycle right like and you have more and more startups uh, addressing more and more market needs and you know more and more high quality jobs uh, the company that i am working for right now again a technology company called coinswitch you know it was 50 people last year uh, i mean uh, maybe a year and a half ago it's 500 people now by the end of the year it's going to be 1000 people so uh, these are all anecdotal sort of uh, you know uh, uh, pieces of you know uh, uh, data uh, now Technically, these are niche jobs. They are high-paying jobs. And in the larger scheme of things, maybe not as many as, you know, in numbers. But I would say these are definitely high-quality jobs which have some kind of a flywheel effect downstream, which means, you know, uh, employees going uh, to start up on their own, you know, starting their own companies or investing in, you know, newer startups, riskier ideas, bolder bets on innovation, etc., uh, mid level white collar jobs are again you know a question which this question has been around for a long time automation will anyways you know take uh shift some of these jobs uh, automation and uh, you know a whole lot of uh you know technology will you know shift some of these jobs uh we don't know if there is a clear answer to whether again net net if it's going to you know sort of add to these jobs right because even though you shift mid-level jobs, you know jobs will be created. You know, uh, in uh, say, um, you know, I would I would say it's not killing those jobs. It's basically it's uh, it's probably shifting those jobs. You know, if you take an example of the draftsman, you know, from yester you know, AutoCAD came and replaced all of that. But uh, you did have an army of people who. Or are proficient at AutoCAD or, you know, you did have outsourcing companies in the U.S. which would send, you know, uh, civil engineering drawings to be vetted by, you know, uh, thousands of employees sitting uh, somewhere in, you know, Bangalore, right? So jobs, are, you know, jobs are being shifted. Uh, I don't know if it's net-net creating or, you know, sort of dist- uh, destroying jobs, but uh, jobs are being shifted, that's for sure. Uh, And in a country like India, which has access to internet and global market, it is a net positive, I would say, because, you know, we can participate in this labor market, market, right, it's become remote more and more. So we can participate in the market. Uh, And again, if you create products and services out of India, it also has the benefits of uh, not just labor arbitrage, but also the IP and the the intellectual property uh, sort of comes back to India. And we make, you know, we become more prosperous in that sense. Uh, Low-paying jobs, you know, are important, I would say, in an economy like India of our scale. You know, millions of young, you know, employable people. It's a good start. It may not look very attractive to us. But I would say some with someone who has very few other options, it's a great start. And, you know, a stepping stone to sort of a better life. Uh, I, I That's my, you know, overall take on, you know, this uh, the job creation, uh, you know, piece.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Jaydevan. Professor Rajan, what is your take on uh, this, uh, the employment uh, scenario created by these uh, startups?
1: No, I think this is a very interesting question. I think uh, Jaydevan has touched upon, uh, you know, several, you know, interesting aspects. Um, so I will just add uh, maybe a couple of points. Uh, so the way I see is that, uh, what is the mandate uh, for startups? The mandate for startups is essentially uh, innovation and growth. And I think that these will be the two big mandates for uh, any startup. And through innovation and growth, they are able to create an impact. Uh, innovation could be uh, you know it, you know it should be substantial and growth much higher as far as the uh, you know startups are concerned as compared to other industries. Now, how do startups achieve this uh, achieve this growth or achieve this ability to innovate? It can take a variety of routes. It could be through technology or it could be through people. So there are some startups uh, which will have to you know really take the help of a lot of people, like for example, the food delivery. And then we are talking about aggregators. So there is, um, you know, there are certain category of startups where the growth will result in substantial, you know, job creation. And there will be certain category of uh, startups, which are, let's say, for example, largely technology-driven, where the employment opportunity uh, might not be very high. But then net-net, if the startups are going to result in growth, this growth, can, as Jaidevan put out, can have a flywheel effect which can create um, a lot of employment, either directly or indirectly. But the mandate for the startups is not really in terms of creating jobs, unlike what maybe what the government would do or a public sector sector enterprise will do where job creation is one of the important metrics. As far as the startup is concerned, job creation is maybe you know, is, is a metric, you know, that is useful, but it's probably not something that one would like to target about. So now having said that, uh, let me also give an example. Um, if we look at the placement statistics at IIT Madras, right? So naturally, if you're looking at the students of IIT Madras, most of them would broadly fall in what is called as the uh, the, the white collar kind of jobs, right? So, if you look at the statistics of IIT Madras, and you know, I'm just going to say say a few statistics here, the number of offers from startups have uh, considerably, you know, increased, right? Uh, you know, over a period of time. Right? Uh, so, in 2019, uh, 53 startups gave about 97 job offers, and in 2021, uh, 63 startups gave about 190 or 200 job offers, right? So just look at it, right? The number of startups that are making job offers have not increased considerably, right? So from 50 to 60, it has been a 20% increase in two years. But the job offers increased uh, from about 100 to 200, right? So essentially uh, from two job offers per company, the number of job offers has increased to about four, right? So, there's a 100% increase uh, in the job offers made per startup, right? So, this is an indication, right, that startups in their growth are also creating growth in employment, right? And going by the statistics of what we see in some of these placement, you know, leading uh, institutes, the growth does not seem to be restricted only to uh, what is called as the the blue collar jobs, but the growth seems to be diffusing uh, to some of the um, technology and the white collar jobs as well. Right? So this is uh, this is one point that I would like to put across. Uh, the second is we also need to see where is the requirement. Right. So today I think one of the major imperatives for India is to job creation. Right. We need more number of jobs. Right. There are a lot of people. They need jobs. And that's the reason, that's that's an important requirement for economic growth. So naturally, the jobs is like a pyramid, right? Um, the pyramid is always broader at the bottom. So we need to be creating more jobs at the bottom of the pyramid, right? So that is, that, that's basically the nature, right? So that is going to be uh, stable. So if startups are creating more jobs at the base of the pyramid, I think that's a very, very important aspect, right? They are then catering to the requirement of the of the hour today and that i think is a very big contribution right and i'm not saying that they are creating only that as i am being by the statistics at iit madras and i'm sure that the statistics will by and large be secular across some of the other leading institutes like um, iits and ims there is there are opportunities that are created at the white collar uh, level as well but the contribution is needed. The requirement is there at the bottom of the pyramid and that is also the place where they are making a big impact. So that would be my response, uh,
0: Thank you, Professor Rajan. Uh, my next question, I think uh, Jedevan touched upon it uh, to some extent in his earlier answer. This is regarding the valuation that these startups and unicorns are seeing. Now, as long as these startups remain private, there is no impact on public money. Any loss or gain is those of the private investors. But uh, once they enter the open market via views with high valuation, then retail investors get involved, and there are uh, ups and downs, as uh, uh, Jaydevan had uh, put it. Do you think that the Indian startup sector is uh, overvalued now, uh, Professor Rajan? What is your take on it? Um, okay, so I will briefly touch upon the first part of your
1: question, where you said that as long as, um, um, as long as um, you know they remain private and it does not really affect the retail investor I mean maybe so at the outset but I think that I would like to kind of slightly disagree here so if you look at it there is a lot of public capital that is actually flowing into this venture capital funds right um, mutual funds make investments and then um, there are um, large um, you know companies like for example one of the largest limited partners that we have today is um, Life Insurance Corporation, Um, right? Um, And then there are several um, public sector enterprises. So they're all, the capital, the public capital is actually getting channelized uh, through, um, through VC funds to startups, right? So if the startups fail, So, naturally, uh, the retail investors might not be directly affected in some sense. I mean, in the sense that if when mutual funds are getting affected, naturally, it will also affect the retail investor in some sense. But then um, there is a lot of public capital that is actually flowing in. So, it's important um, that we don't really consider only the retail investor, but also look at the public capital that flows into the startups. A second... um, See, when the, naturally the stock markets are uh, not as safe as, let's say, a bank deposit or a government of India bond, right? An investor who is uh, investing uh, into this um, stock market uh, is therefore fully aware of it, right? And sometimes uh, most of the retail investors, they are willing to prepare to take a higher risk, um, you know, by investing in stock markets, not just by investing their own capital. But then by borrowing from the bank and then investing in stock markets, right? So people who are entering the stock markets and they are fully aware and then there are several investor education programs that are being conducted, making them aware of the risks of the stock markets investing, right? So there I think uh, we need to allow the markets to play, right? Um, if somebody is investing um, and we assume that they may be fully aware, there are enough education programs that make them the, aware of the risk of the Uh, investing in the stock markets. The question that you are asking is, uh, is the market overvalued, right? So again, that again depends on the the, the timing of the issue, right? So in financial markets, um, asset prices are very dynamic. And we all know that, uh, you know, the sentiments can play a very important role uh, in valuation. When sentiments are good, the valuation seems to be on the higher side so today i mean as i keep reading um, a lot of literature there is a dominant view that the asset prices today are inflated right i mean it's just not talking about not talking about startups but overall uh, the financial asset prices the stock market hsb uh, people are saying inflated right? for a variety of reasons right money supply and um, the support that has been provided as a result of the covid and so on and so forth so, so if if the overall stock markets Um, the assets in the stock market are not reflecting the real values, that is also going to be applicable for the the, the stocks of the startups as well, right? So I think I would kind of, uh, you know, subscribe to this uh, dominant view um, as that exists today, that the asset prices uh, are not reflecting the true values. But then um, that's the nature of the financial markets. Uh, So I mean, just to add to whatever I have been saying today, I think uh, a retail investor need not, uh, you know, is well aware of the risks and what the retail investors are looking for is suitable opportunities uh, to uh, to participate uh, investing in startups, right? So that's what retail investors are looking for. Now, if, because if we see the evidence uh, in the number of angel networks and um, the member growth in these angel networks, all of them, uh, they point to a very strong interest um, among um, some of the countries' high net worth individuals to invest in uh, startups, right? So they are looking for an opportunity to invest in startups rather than um, rather than safety of uh, the traditional investment avenues, right? So from that perspective, um, I think these investors will be very well aware of the risks, um, you know, the, the cycles of the stock markets, the cycles of these valuations and um, uh, and they will be able to bear it Right. they will be where the risks of uh, this valuation because many of them are knowledgeable uh, investors right.
0: so that is what i would like to add thank you professor Rajan. Uh, jaydevin anything that you want to add on this question of valuations
2: yeah just just a few things i think uh, the, the, there is froth in the market right like so you can say that uh, some startups are overvalued etc but uh, like again you know venture capital is risk capital and uh, people who allocate you know a portion of their uh, wealth or you know uh, savings or whatever uh, into venture capital understand the risks uh, pretty well uh, I would say and you know in the the uh, you know uh, so that's that's from a venture capital side of things uh, but on the public market side I think we also underestimate the genius of the markets right like they know exactly which companies to uh, you know, if you take it at a very aggregate level, you know, uh, they know which companies to bet on, which companies not. They can make out which company is just, you know, a fiction, you know, just a story or which companies are actually churning profits, good cash flows, all of that. You know, so some companies uh, clearly have been rewarded by investors over the past many years. So, you know, Asian Paints, Infosys, Wipro, TCS, all of these companies, uh, some of these newer companies as well the markets do understand them uh, is there a question of hey is it are they are they trading at too much of a high price too much of a low price i feel like it will settle down as things go along and of course the you know uh, the sentiments have a big role to play here you know everybody wants to buy into a startup thinking of the potential that it has uh, and all of that so i think uh the other piece that I want to just separate out is that retail participation in Indian markets is just about two percent. So, and these are usually people with you know a decent amount of you know disposable income. Uh, so, and 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 the number of startups which have gone into the public markets are also very few, at least in India. Like there are maybe last cycle, this current cycle, maybe there are like you know half a dozen startups which you know have gone or are about to go. Uh, so as a po- proportion of, you know, so firstly, there is that 2% number, and then there is this, you know, number which says, uh, you know, just a few startups, right? Like, so if you take the total market cap of the NSE or a BSE, at you know, upwards of uh, $3 trillion, these are, you know, if, if, you know a few uh, thousand crores, right? Like, so a very small uh, portion, so it's not going to hurt the public at large, even if all of them went to zero, and that's hypothetical, which they're not going to go to zero. I feel like markets understand, you know, these companies, they, uh, they will understand more and more of these companies. You look at the US market, uh, tech companies, startups have grown, you know, over the last few years, making many people rich, uh, you know, in, in the process, right? So I, and, and, and then, you know, uh, so th- that's the promise of, you know, the whole internet uh, tech led, uh, you know, sort of uh, startups. Uh, now. The only uh, thing I would point out is we can't just have internet, we also need consumers with decent purchasing power to actually make the consumer internet story happen in India. And I feel I'm hopeful and you know, for many reasons that you know, a country like India has has to grow it has no choice but to grow and you know that's where the opportunity lies on the back of innovation you know all the cutting edge uh, things that are happening now on the back of global talent you know we have the opportunity to grow Uh, and you know even in spaces like web 3 you know even in which is like pretty much in the cutting edge spaces like SaaS. you know which was uh, a little more mature of kind of a technology Then the consumer internet story itself, which treats India as a market, not like the global market, India as a market, again, that has the numbers and all of that. Uh, The uh, the economy, uh, you know, as it grows, you know, is where these startups will start seeing, you know, their valuations, uh, you know, uh, grow or, you know, sort of just valuations being justified. Uh, Companies that don't have great fundamentals will be weeded out, you know, no, no two ways about it. Markets understand these companies very well. There's, if there's no path to profitability, if there is no, you know, uh, uh, cash flow being generated, You know, then you are looking at uh, companies with problems which have not fundamentally discovered a business model or a problem that they really want to solve, uh, even after being in existence for so many years. So that is just a little bit of truth. Uh, there are always companies like that, but in the larger scheme of things, I feel like, you know, uh, startups are a force of nature. It's uh, you know they are making huge impact in the you know country, beat employment, you know all of that, uh, with, uh, wealth creation, employment, you know uh, all of that. So I feel like you know uh, this this particular you know fear of you know is public going to lose out a lot of money? Uh, the answer is uh, you know at least to my mind, it's it's a no.
0: Okay. Thank you, Jaydevan. Uh, so thank you, Professor Rajan and uh, Jaydevan, for this uh, great discussion on uh, startup, startup valuation, the employment that they are crea- creating and the unicorns that are rising in India. Uh, it has been a stimulating one. and I'm sure that uh, it will be an enlightening one for our listeners and readers as well. Uh, so thank you once again, Professor Rajan and uh, Jaydevan. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, John, sir.